Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia, and today Carrie and I are talking about probably one of our favorite, favorite foods. And some of the most memorable soups I've ever had actually were made by Carrie. It turns out she may have even forgotten about some of them, but it was so fun to revisit them. And we hope this conversation inspires you to get in the kitchen, to get out that big pot, whip up a batch for yourself or for your friends or family, or to stash in the freezer for a cold night. What could be cozier than a good soup? Stay tuned for more. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. Sonia, just seeing you and being with you in in recording these new episodes, I just like – my cooking was so crazy this week. I just felt so inspired in my kitchen. Well, then that must be what's going on with me too because <laughs> I have not been this inspired in the kitchen in months. Like I don't know what happened, but I've yes. just been – cooking up a storm, making dishes out of nowhere, experimenting. And I think it's like a gentle reminder that it's almost like having taken a break allows for this big surge of creativity. I don't know. I think it's okay to not be in the flow of extreme cooking all the time. There's such a sense of that in the summer. You know, you're chopping raw vegetables and you're you're trying to keep throw everything on the grill and you're trying to keep it easy. And I was certainly doing that. I feel like I'm grounding back into the kitchen. I'm grounding back into the routine. And certainly talking to you just makes me, I just want to cook and invite friends over. And I wish we could be together again in person. I know. Well, there's sometimes, especially when I'm experimenting, I feel like I want a really uh, a trusted palate nearby (laughs) and not that Jonathan isn't a happy receiver of new inventions but it's just not they're not as excited by the fact that you tried your friend's new spice blend as you are you know or like it's just a different experience no with no um judgment of Jonathan or James or anyone's partner totally I well there's just you know because you and I have worked together as chefs there's always that like oh I'm working on this will you taste this tell me what you think oh you taste this how are you you know there that collaboration is so lovely when I'm always standing alone in my kitchen I'm like what would Sonia put in this what would Sonia do for this oh everything Um, you say becomes like an inspiration for something for me to (laughs) play with in my own kitchen because again we get into these rhythms and cycles and sometimes ruts and it's actually this is a perfect segue to our topic because I feel like this year I want to recommit to soups (laughs) and like not that I ever left them behind I love soup it's really one of my like top favorite foods and so many kinds of soup but I do feel like I get into a rhythm of one main soup you know or two main soup I always tweak them enough that they feel different. And maybe maybe that's what I'm talking about. But basically, I do get into the cycle of a soup where I've made a great broth that's, you know, hanging out in my fridge or freezer, usually a chicken broth, but sometimes a veggie broth. And I end up throwing tons of vegetables like carrot, celery, onion, greens, whatever I have, sometimes a potato, sometimes a white bean, a noodle. And it's like that, sometimes a dumpling. And that's like kind of our our main soup, lots of herbs. Or I like to make borscht a lot. And those are kind of like the two main kinds of soups in our life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I can eat that every day. But I was thinking that this year I really want to yeah, make 
different soups more yeah. regularly. Yeah. I think we can remove the judgment from this conversation and just say, this is the time of year to recommit to soups, right? <laughs> because I also think in this category of soups, we're also talking about things like stews and curries and, and things like that. Or that's at least the direction that I want to go oh, in. I really want to focus so, on soups because I feel like stews and curries are like a whole other world because there's so much to explore in soup and you are one of the great soup makers and you have a lot of different soups in your arsenal I've been on retreat with you where you brought like seven different soups with you I just feel like there's so much for us to talk about you're reminding me (laughs) do you mind if we like really just explore that because I feel like there's a part two that can happen with the the veering into the stews and the curries and the chilies you want to keep it in the lighter category like a more brothy space or even a squash soup. Like that's almost what I want to start with with you because um, I don't make – I do make squash soup. And, oh, I wanted to tell you my discovery this year about squash soup. But before I share my squash soup discovery, like historically find most squash soups like a little bit cloying, too sweet, too pureed, too one note, or too cinnamon heavy, and then it feels like dessert yeah. and not into it. So, But you – made this amazing squash soup for a pop-up that we did years and years ago. I wanted you to remind me of what that was about. I think one of the first pieces I think about when I think about a squash soup is one, how to get the most out of your squash, which undoubtedly is by roasting it, right? So you like, you deepen that flavor. And then I think to your point about the cloyingness, that it's too sweet or that you have to kind of rely on these like heavily heavy spices, like a cinnamon spice. I think I think the other thing is to think about how to balance out that sweetness. And to me, I always go in the spicy direction. So I remember years ago, I worked with this woman who was doing cooking classes and we made a roasted squash soup and we just put red pepper flakes on the squash when we were roasting it. And so that adds like a little depth of flavor. But there was a squash soup that you and I made together for this pop-up we did that's the one years I'm t- ago. That's the one I'm talking about. I'm, okay. That's the okay. one I want to go down memory lane with because I remember okay. being like, this is what squash soup should be like. Well, and this is actually the perfect season to make it in. And I'll have to remember where this recipe came from. I think it actually came from Love Soup. It's one of the best cookbooks I own and it's written by a woman named Named Anna Thomas. It might be in that book. But anyway, it's squash and poblano peppers. Yeah. And this is like the time of year when the peppers are spicier and also they have a little bit of a thicker skin. So roasting them is actually perfect. And using that heat, the subtle heat of a poblano pepper to balance out that subtle sweetness that's in like a kabocha squash or, you know, any one of these number of winter squashes that are going to start to hit the market like any moment. Wait, so when you're like I agree you have to roast the squash and like I love the idea of roasting a pepper with it I think you can even roast onions with it I think that caramelization totally right that yes. the onions are also necessary in, in a squash soup if you just cube it and throw it into a pot with water it just is, it ends up bland but yes do you have preferred squash for squash soup do you do a mix or do you always stick to one you know in some ways I hesitate to share this because I don't know that they're always accessible but in the last few years I love a kabocha squash I love that texture I love that flavor that has become my favorite squash there's a couple of farmers that grow like incredible ones here I could eat that once a week that's my favorite squash too I like that really I love kabocha and I love red curry k-u-r-i 
Fry, which is in the same family. And you know where you can always find it, even out of season, honestly, is at any H Mart, at almost any Japanese market. Really? Because it's such a part of a lot of Asian cooking. It's like a, a very typical pumpkin. But I also love a honey nut squash. And I like to sometimes do a combo of squashes if I'm doing a soup. I find like store-bought butternut squash to be too bland. And I love kabocha because I love its texture. I think it's very like creamy when you puree it. It's not stringy. Yeah. And it's also dense. Like there's a density and a creaminess to it. So it lends itself really well to a lot of different applications. But then if you're pureeing it or kind of mashing it up into like a chowder-ish kind of soup, it just doesn't feel sad. There's like a thickness and a richness to it. And so, yeah, I think like roasting a squash, adding some onions to that, roasting it with some peppers. And then I would keep that vegetarian, which is actually still even still vegan, right? You can just do like a veggie broth for that. You could obviously, if you have chicken broth on hand, use that. And then I love to put like some kind of crunchy element on it or creamy element on it, or maybe even both, like a toasted nut. And then if you're trying to keep it vegan, then just, you know, just work with the nut. But then you could also do like a crumbled cheese. This is a great place for a feta or a queso fresco or a cotija. Do a crumbled cheese on your squash soup. Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. I've never done that. I've done definitely done like a creme fraiche or like even like a yogurt kind of dollop or something like that, but I've never done um, a crumble cheese. It'll give you those briny bites. Like if you were to kind of crumble up your feta, even big pieces of feta, like, I mean, I'm not a blue cheese lover, but that's like a great place because that's such a tangy flavor that you could even crumble a little bit of blue cheese in there. Interesting. Um, I would never have thought that that is truly mind-blowing. Okay, can I tell you my my mind-blowing squash soup uh, discovery here? And I I think I've already told you. So I work with this amazing chef. He's a master chef, Chef Rich Rosendale out of the South. And I was testing a recipe of his and it was a butternut squash soup, but his secret ingredient is roasted pureed banana. So with the squash... Yes. Okay, did I not tell you this? You never never told me this. This is... Truly the most amazing. I don't know if I'll ever make squash soup the same way. Like a straight banana, like a banana from the grocery store? Straight banana from the grocery store. So he takes the squash, he halves it, and on the pan, he'll roast it with whole peeled bananas. You want them really, they come really caramelized. They don't turn black. They turn like golden brown and the squash turns golden brown. And then you throw all of that in with coconut milk. And a lot of and like aromatics. So you still do your normal yes. like onion and all that stuff that you saw. Yeah, yeah, that you right. saute before you add the the squash and the banana. But then you add the squash and the banana, a can of coconut milk, water, whatever spices you want. Turmeric is really good in this. All spice is good in this. But you could keep you could go as spicy or not as you want. You could totally do a poblano. That would be good here. And like you puree it all. And I can't explain. You don't taste the banana, but the banana sweetness complements the squash sweetness and somehow takes it out of bland cloying and into something like incredibly deep and rich and caramely, but not too sweet. It's not too sweet. It's very shocking. I mean, this is a situation I would call burying the lead. <laughs> like you like led me into how do you make your but you your squash soup? And I'm like, oh, I just put the bolanos and onions and whatever. <laughs> oh, and then you pull out this banana move, which I've never that sounds insane. I feel like a chef in South Africa started making this. I don't know who invented this. <laughs> I want to say like I know that my chef that I work with discovered it from another chef. So when you started to say banana. 
it reminded me of plantains. And there is this really amazing Brazilian restaurant in our neighborhood that Mac and I like to go to. Like I always get the spicy chicken and then the plantains, which are sweet. And I mix them. I sort of eat them together because the chicken is really spicy. So when you said banana, I was like, oh, I wonder if you could roast a plantain also with your squash. Yes. That would and, and that would add some of that really rich texture too, especially if, if you were kind of making a chowder-ish or yes. putting it in your Vitamix or your blender and blending it up to be this super creamy, flavorful, comforting, but also very veggie heavy soup, yeah, you right? Can to- and you could actually add greens at the end, like a handful of greens, like a spinach or a kale. And this also leads me to my next question for you, because there's another soup that you introduced me to that was kind of mind blowing for me and how delicious it was. You make this sweet potato soup with black lentils that I dream of you coming to my house and making. I don't even remember Are that soup. Serious? Wait, describe it to Are me. I am so serious? serious. Describe it to me. This is, by the way, this is, hilarious. This is why I'm like, this is so I've funny. never written a cookbook because I never write notes. I even had a client who used to say to me like, you're going to write this down when you leave, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll totally write it down. And then I never do. So you at the retreat both times made a sweet potato, <laughs> not once, but twice. You made a sweet potato soup where it was kind of what we're describing with the squash, like a sort of simple base, but with sweet potatoes, I think roasted okay. sweet whole yams, you cooked off black lentils separately and you add them to the soup. And then you topped it with is yogurt. It, is it a pureed soup? Yes. Is it the, the sweet potato is pureed yes. and then you you put the lentils yes. in and then you put... Oh gosh, I've re- replicated it. I've made this soup because <laughs> you made the soup. See, this is why we're food friends. And this is also why you have to have a food friend because people remember the things that you made and you don't... They weren't like as significant to you. or I. It's like it was significant to me at the time. Clearly, I made it twice. But since then, I've just moved on to other things. I'm and, like so shocked um, right now that you... You don't remember your own amazing soup. Like, and I was like, I remember talking to you about it in the kitchen and being like, Carrie, where did you find this incredible idea for the soup? And you had found it, I think, in some cookbook or magazine. Like, you had found inspiration for it, but you obviously had made your own twist. Well, I'll have to go back and see if I probably didn't write it down. To explain to everyone, what you did, since I remember, is you roasted sweet potatoes, yams, the orange ones, but I think it would work with yeah. any color. And you did a normal, like, you know, celery, onion, carrot, garlic. And I think there was right. like cu- cumin, coriander, turmeric, uh, a lot of turmeric. You had a, so much turmeric in the soup, and that was part of what made it so good. I think you did ginger. Oh, yeah. I think it was yeah. like leaned in all those warm spices, maybe cinnamon too. And then you cooked. Yeah, now I'm kind of remembering. Yeah. And then you boiled yeah. off some black lentils and they had to be black because those black lentils are very small they almost look like uh, poppy seeds but a little bigger in the soup yeah and aren't they called beluga yes, lentils? Yes, beluga they, like, they, yeah. they sort of resemble caviar. Like that's why they call them that way because they're so little. Yes. They're tiny. Oh, and yeah. you could use a French lentil. I think a beluga is a French lentil. I think there might be black lentils and beluga lentils and French. Anyway, but what you're looking for is a very okay. tiny dark lentil. Small lentil. And then, so basically you make your soup, add the, scoop out the sweet potato to the pot. You do veg broth. You could do any broth, but vegetarian broth is great for this or water. You puree yeah. that with an immersion blender blender and then at the end you add the lentils and then you serve that 
dolloped with yogurt and topped with like cilantro. By the way, I want someone to make that soup for me right now. <laughs> that sounds so good. And also it's like you get the richness, like this pureed rich soup. I don't know if this is going to resonate with you or anyone, but I like to like bite my soup. Like I like my soup to have things in it. I don't like a smoothie. I'm not like a big mm, smoothie person, yeah. but just like drinking something like that is not my jam. And so I like there to be texture in my soup. Like so if I'm making crouton or a pepita. A crunchy crouton or like dipping bread in there or a, a pita chip or just any version of that. So even if I'm pureeing something where it's like all these veggies and you're really getting the aggregate of aromatics and the spices and the squash or whatever, I like there to be something that I can chew on too, which really if we're ready to like move to a different space, I would also add one of the things I'm excited to cook and it's kind of in the same genre is tomato soup. Your tomato soup is the goat. (laughs) It's it's so killer. I wish everyone in the world could try your tomato soup. If you think tomato soup is boring, you haven't had Carrie's tomato soup. I would call it also basic. Like it is. is, and And this is what I do. I take butter. I cook down a ton of onions and then I add tomatoes the whole peeled tomatoes I add those in I cook them together I let them cook down and then I puree all of that so it's this really creamy rich soup the buttery onions I have to pause you I have to like dissect this a little more because there's such important key tips you're giving which is and also it's something my grandma taught me this is where you and my grandmother overlap because this is how she made her tomato sauce because the butter is one element that's not necessarily how she made it but the butter is a critical element in this dish. Like it is not Mm -hmm. to be replaced with anything else. It is so important to balancing the acidity of the tomatoes. It's so important to the velvety texture, but also you don't just cook down a bunch of onions. You get them really caramelized, right? They get really caramelized and it's a lot of onions, like to the point where it takes a while. Like I'll do a couple loads of laundry while all this is happening. So you can't be like, oh, I'm just going to saute them for 10 minutes. It's like an hour. That's actually a trick because you're bringing out the sweetness. You're bringing out the sweetness and then you add the tomatoes and you let them cook down in that. So they all married together and all those juices that come out of those tomatoes also concentrate. Not to skip to the end, but after I've pureed all of this and I've got the soup, and this also makes me think of a client I used to work for a lot. She used to host a lot of lunches at her house and I would make this tomato soup and it was very beautiful and refined. I would always make a grilled cheese crouton that was the shape of a heart and I would float that in the middle of the soup. I mean, I got to admit, I don't do that for my family. Like I just make a grilled cheese and we serve it on the side and we call it a day, but it's such a veggie heavy dinner because of the tomatoes and the onions. And then you've got this something to dip it in or something to eat alongside of it. By the way, Um, you once had me cover for you for one of those lunches and I had to ask you how to make your soup because she needed it to be your way. And I'm sure it was not quite at Carrie's level, but but it was how I learned to make your soup. And I think you also told me, correct me if I'm wrong, you also put in a Parmesan rind. Yes, that umami flavor. You Once you put the tomatoes in, I would add a couple of Parmesan rinds and sort of let them cook down so that Parmesan was in there too. It was flavor. the flavor without the cheese. It's so... The flavor without the cheese. I mean, you and I yeah. have talked before so rich. about how we both store Parmesan rinds in our freezer for these kinds of moments for when you're making a soup that would really benefit from a Parmesan rind. Yeah, I mean, I have a, even have a friend who gives me her chicken bones and her Parmesan. Parmesan rinds. Isn't that so nice? So sweet. And also going back to the heart-shaped crouton, 
in my drawer with cookie cutters. I have the heart shaped crout- uh, cutters from yes. when I was trying to do what you did. And I remember going out and not knowing what size to get. So I got like a couple different sizes of cutters. Like so a cookie, cutter. cookie cutters. Yeah. yeah. That's a classic soup. And it's really the other question I had for you is do you ever roast tomatoes for that or even roast canned tomatoes for that? I actually don't. This is just kind of my mode of doing how I do my tomato soup, but you could totally do that. And I often wonder where is the line between what is the soup and then what is your pasta sauce? You know, when we had Grace on, she talked about Grace Chan. We talked about gardening. She also mentioned that she would make this pasta sauce with all of her tomatoes out of her garden. And I want to go back and listen to that episode because she talked about the olive oil like emulsifying. I know. I think she talked about it had to do with using specifically an immersion blender on her tomato sauce. And that aerated it. I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was the combination of the olive oil and the... But I know the blender was part of it. And she was like, if you just do it for a long time. And it makes sense because when you're making soup and you're blending it with an immersion blender, I do think it has a slightly different foamy texture than a regular blender. So I don't even have an immersion blender. I think I either used to have one. I think I remember when I was listening to Grace, I kind of made a mental note that, of course, I've forgotten is like buy an immersion blender. But this is the time of year. Right, to be doing soups like this, whether you're going puring them fully so that they're super creamy or just kind of like with that immersion blender, sort of sticking them in and making it like a chowder. I have one more soup. You might have another one too, but I have another one that I really am thinking about too, which is kind of like a white bean. I have to interrupt you because (laughs) I was like waiting to like say, you know what else is the Parmesan rind is good for? Is your your specific white bean soup. Please, please share with all of us. I think this soup is really like kind of an aggregate of so many different ideas, including one from this book, Love Soup by Anna Thomas. And I think hers, you just put tons and tons of garlic and oregano when you cook your white beans. So they're really brothy. I also used to do kind of a version of like this with my, I have another food friend I used to work with a long time ago, my friend Amelia, and we would make like a white bean mash. And so we would cook the white beans with white wine and garlic and Parmesan rind. And then we kind of bubble that down and then put that on like a crostini. But cook your white beans with white wine and a Parmesan rind and a bunch of oregano. I mean, that is like one of the best soups I've ever had. And you can mash that. You know, the beans kind of fall apart. You can serve that with a crispy baguette. It's interesting because I do think there's a time and place for a pureed soup, like a potato leek or the tomato or the squash that we've all mentioned. And I want those to be pureed actually. I prefer those specific soups to not be chunky. But a bean soup I really love even if the beans disintegrate I love seeing their shape I like not pureeing them or at least like half pureeing and then keeping half the beans whole like scooping out some beans pureeing it and then adding the beans back well it's a soup you can chew right it's like a soup that you you've got there is a texture to it that's so I think for me critical for most bean soups I ever make regardless of the color of the bean I like to add Mm -hmm. greens I just think beans kind of demand greens there's something that like that earthy green vegetal taste with the like starchy creamy bean just is like such a nice pairing but you know the soup that's really in my rotation that I've just never stopped making is uh basically a version of Ina Garten's lentil soup I don't know her lentil soup it's as simple as a lentil soup can get it is just onion celery carrot garlic carrot thyme bay maybe parsley lentils yeah the thing that just basic green lentils basic 
totally brown basic lentils. brown lentils, green lentils, whatever you call them. Yeah. Just your most average basic lentils. Although I yeah. often will use like a French lentil in a lentil soup too like this. So you can use a fancier lentil or a more basic one. And you can use chicken broth or vegetable broth, or you can use water. You just add more like salt and, you know, and maybe more herbs. Right. And you simmer that down until the lentils are tender. It comes together pretty quickly because lentils really only take 20 or 30 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. Totally. And then, but this is the thing that she taught me that changed my lentil soups forever. She adds red wine vinegar at the end. What You turn mm. off the heat and then you add the vinegar, not while it's really? cooking. Yeah. And so that acidity just brightens the whole pot of soup. And if I don't have, uh, if I don't want to use vinegar, I'll use lemon juice. That's very traditional, like Turkish cooking and other places where right. lentils are common. Like Ina Garden didn't necessarily invent that idea either where you yeah. came that's where you met that idea yeah. you know that's out in the ether and a parmesan right? rind in a lentil soup is really great and I love even like a shower of parmesan like microplanes at the end yeah. and I can't have a bean soup without a good crusty like sourdough or hearty bread or a yes. good baguette like it has to be there yeah like a crusty baguette is so essential or a fried pita chip especially in a with a lentil soup I kind of think about fried pita chip and that's also where I'll be cleaning out the freezer and I'm always keeping packs of pitas that haven't got if we ordered takeout we ended up with many packs of pitas like that's always where I'm taking those out of the freezer drizzling them with some olive oil and some herbs and then crisp them in the oven that makes a soup night feel even just a regular Tuesday night it feels like so luxurious you could do that with naan you could do that with, with all non bread yeah, yeah. And it's that Trader Joe's naan bread we love we keep really that good. in the freezer always and I yeah. actually sometimes actually just serve non-bread with soups even though maybe it's not yeah. in the same fa same cuisine family it just works I have one last question for you on this topic of soups I mean we could talk we've only scratched the surface obviously there's so yeah. much more soup I, by the way I have a whole list of soups that we did not even cover today because you kept me in this space of like the veggie heavy brothy kind of space I know we didn't um, even get into Italian meatball which is actually like one of, not Italian meatball no or Italian a, mini, a minestrone or minestrone right. or, yeah. or borscht yeah. we didn't talk about borscht we didn't <laughs> yeah, talk we about didn't. any of the Russian soups we didn't talk about mushroom barley stop <laughs> I'm curious if there's like one soup you've never made or even one soup you haven't made in a long time that you're inspired to make this fall? The thing that's kind of popping to my mind is there's this sort of classic potato leek soup. It's like potato, leeks, and butter or something and that's it. I don't know that I've ever actually made that, but people really wax poetic about that soup. It's so funny because that was going to be my answer that I like- No, <laughs> it's not. It really was. I have made potato leek soup before. I have, but I think it's been- so many years and I think it's such a great soup it's one of the ones I forget about and I think in the middle of winter yeah. when you're like low on the vegetables and there's fewer options yeah. it's such a good solution and it's so simple and so good I feel like I'm thinking about Ruth Reichel when I I feel like she wrote a piece about how, the simplicity of that soup or it might have been Julia Child I'm not sure but it, I think it's that it doesn't have cream in it too right it's literally just butter leeks and potato and something magical happens there's a kind of soup that I've always meant to write a recipe for and haven't yet. And it's basically a green borscht. It was called a green borscht in my family. I think some people call it schav or some other word that I'm maybe saying wrong. And often I think it's made with sorrel, which is actually more of like a spring green, but yeah. But so maybe it will have to wait for spring. But I just remember my grandmother making a green version with like a lot of cabbage and spinach and dill in the winter. And I feel like whatever I even call it, I mean, I know there's like white borscht, green borscht, 
red borscht. Red borscht, the one that most people know about is made with beets, but there's other varieties. So I think this winter, I really want to kind of make a green soup and write down the recipe. Well, I support you in that endeavor because I would love that. That sounds delicious. And I'm always very curious about a green like sorrel because it has that lemony flavor, which I'm still very unfamiliar with cooking that. It grows really easily and I see it a lot in this, I feel like in the summer, spring and summer. It's very common in the spring and summer. It's very nutrient dense and it's very, very common in Eastern European cooking and oh, wow. Slavic cooking, Soviet cooking. And so there really is a sorrel soup that's like you'll find around oh, wow. that whole region. But I think there was a version that she made even without sorrel. I remember last winter I played around with a white borscht because I remember that there are these versions of it. And I saw Gabrielle Hamilton posted a recipe in the New York Times for one. And basically it's so perfect for like January, February, but really anytime in the colder months. And it's a cabbage right. soup that you add a sausage to and like like kielbasa type of sausage. So, okay. so what I'll do is like make a basic soup with like kind of a cabbage onion base and then pan fry some sausages and add that to the cabbage soup. And then, you know, olive oil and drizzling oh, it with yeah. that and fresh herbs, dill, obviously. And this is just going to be That's my last bad. offering on our soup episode. And I really feel like I've <laughs> talked about it before, but I just have to bring it up again. I really think one of the best soup recipes ever written is this cabbage farro soup that's in the cookbook Six Seasons but that I mentioned before um, by Joshua McFadden and Martha Holberg. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the soup, Carrie, you have to try it because this is something you in particular will love. And it's not just the ingredients like cabin and farro actually make sense, but it's the methodology. They have you basically cook the cabbage with nothing else for like 20 minutes, like in butter with a lid on. It's like a very specific method and you don't need like any broths. It's all vegetarian. It's so surprising how good this is, how such simple, like humble ingredients turn into something really elevated, really like something you think you would have at a great restaurant. I'm really excited for you to try the soup. Well, I have that cookbook because you gave it to me and I missed that. I'm going to put that on my list too. Okay. One last thing before we go, when you just said Faro, it reminded me of something I ate this week. So I want to find out what was something that you ate this week that was really delicious. Funny you should say farro sparked your memory because my dish is sort of farro adjacent. It doesn't use farro, but it's in a similar world. And, you know, I've been really inspired partly because of the weather shift and partly because of our conversations. And I've just felt really creative in the kitchen. And so I picked up a package of bulgur wheat, which I don't often cook with, which is, yeah. I feel like farro adjacent because it's kind of like, it's, yes, yeah, it is. It's a cracked yeah. whole grain. It's used in a lot of Middle Eastern cooking. It's so nutty, like farro. And yes. it's very easy to make. Like you make it kind of like quinoa or rice. I, so I made just simple farro on the stove. Wait, simple bulgur. Sorry, bulgur. I just yes. made bulgur okay. in a pot on the stove, which is like salt and that's it. And then I yeah. made a sheep pan and I just filled it with whole Jimmy Nardello peppers, which are these long, thin red peppers, but you could use any kind of sweet red pepper. Beautiful, like sweet onion that I just cut into wedges. Mm. And then some tomatoes, some like late season tomatoes and eggplant. And I spiced all the vegetables with 
um, harissa spice mix, like a powder, and olive oil and salt. I roasted them till they were really caramely, not just softened, but like caramely. And then I laid out the bulgur. I topped it with all of these mix of roasted vegetables. Even with the whole pepper, I kind of like the presentation, even though you have like to, you know, yeah. cut off the top when you eat it. Cut it. And right. then I showered it with dill and more, a little flake salt and olive oil. And it was so good. Did you take a picture of I this? did. I can share it. Thank God. Yeah. I would love to see that. That sounds incredible. And you've really reminded me how much I love bulgur. I used to cook that a lot for clients and I just lost track of it, I think. Well, your farro cabbage soup jogged, you know, it, it's not that I've forgotten about it because I actually am going to eat the leftovers for lunch as soon as we close this conversation. But I made the cauliflower farro parmesan for dinner this week. And I am so not mad about it. And everyone sat at the table and was like, why is this so good? And I'm just like, I don't understand. It is so much better than the sum of its parts. It is such a perfect recipe. It's so perfect. It's so perfect. And I never mess with it. Although I do get kind of lazy where I just like kind of dump things in now. And I also was totally out of oregano. I didn't use oregano, but I had a bunch of fresh basil and I threw that in. We have leftovers that I'm just going to reheat and eat for lunch. And it's so satisfying. It's just so good. No, and I would Um, never have ever, ever thought to make that dish if it wasn't for you. I feel like that dish is almost what sparked this whole podcast for me because (laughs) I was like... I would never learn about certain dishes if it wasn't for Carrie. I need people to know about them because it's almost like there's so much content, so many recipes on the New York Times yeah. website. That's from the yeah. New York Times. It's- Sarah de Gregorio was really channeling something when she developed this recipe. And I, it's one of the most perfect recipes I've ever tasted. It's perfect in and flavor. It's, it's very nutritious. Mm-hmm. It's so great for hosting, but it's as equally good for like a weeknight meal. And it's a really good, I think you can make it and freeze it and reheat it meal. I've never done that, but it's also, I will say, you know, my niece is 13. She's actually such a great cook. But if you have a kid that's learning how to cook, this is one of the most incredible recipes to give them because you essentially just put it all into a bowl, stir it up and bake it. But it comes out feeling so fancy and beautiful and a tomato kind of based casserole like that with a lot of Parmesan is such a win for most like kid palates. It's such too, a kid you know? friendly dish, even though it doesn't sound like it because it has cauliflower and farro. But we'll link that yeah. again, even though we've linked it before. Yeah. And we'll link all these recipes. It's worth a reminder, just like you're reminding me of my sweet potato soup that I just fully forgot about like years ago. Yeah. Did to find. We'll check find our show again. notes. We link recipes there every week. This was so much fun, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. I'm so thrilled that we're back in this space together. And I just like want to, I just want to get back into my kitchen. Me too. Same. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Happy cooking and eating.